What is up? I am Miguel Antonio, and this is the Live and Create Podcast. It's where I interview artists and entrepreneurs about what it means to live a great life and create great things. On this episode, we have Brandon Grosco. Now, Brandon has lived a whole lot of different lives. He started out as a full-time EDM DJ and producer. He went on to start his own landscape company, grew that, and eventually sold it. And now he's starting a whole new business venture where he's seeking to educate first-time gun owners. Now, I know guns are a very, very hot topic and a very intense and uh, extremely nuanced topic, but it's my hope that you guys can hear his own story, hear him as an individual, hear him as a entrepreneur, as an artist, and also see that he's working to to pull out the bravado that so often permeates gun culture. Um, I think it's a great conversation. I hope you guys enjoy. The Live and Create Podcast. So context for everyone listening, um, you, you have had like, you've lived many lives is, is what <laughs> I learned. The more I've gotten to know you, um, yeah. you're an EDM DJ hosting parties, like entrepreneurial spirit mixed with artistry. Um, and then yeah. you started operated and then eventually sold your own landscaping company. Cause that's a good, yep. that's a proper succession from EDM to landscaping. Right. And yeah, then, that makes sense. Right. <laughs> And now here you are starting uh, your new business and it's civilian firearms training, right? Yep. Am I getting the name right? Okay. Civilian firearms trainer. Yep. Trainer. My bad. Uh, But yeah, so you, you, now you're helping uh, and we'll get more and more into that uh, here down the road, but I definitely wanted just to dive into this, this really cool, I think, uh, twists and turns uh, that you've lived as an entrepreneur, as a and as an artist. And so let, let's start with the EDM thing. So you, right. okay. <laughs> <laughs> what, what did the EDM world and creating your own music and, and hosting these parties, what did that look like for you? Um, well, I was, I was super young. So I got into that scene in 96. And at that time, the, it was a true rave scene. Um, meaning we weren't getting permits to hold events at, legit venues like we do now. <laughs> so it was um, the best parties. It was the best parties. They, they were, they were original. Like that, that was how the rave scene started. Um, so, uh, got into that in 96 and, um, just found just a culture that was, that was really intriguing to me. Um, music has always been a part of my life. I, I've been a musician since elementary school. Um, and have dabbled in a lot of different instruments. Um, but this was something that was different to me. So uh, it was something I gravitated to. I was only, I think, 17, 16, 17 at that okay, time. So, so you're already starting um, the artist and entrepreneurial spirit really early uh, for, yeah, for your career. Yeah, yeah. And didn't start really throwing parties and getting involved on the business side until being in the scene for a couple of years. Um, but that that scene, as you know, the music business in general is pretty cutthroat, full of drama, <laughs> full of, of shady people. Um, and that's and, and that's the good side of it, right? That's, that's the good side say. of it, right? <laughs> it's um, like it's a dark alley with pimps and prostitutes and people who are going to rob you, and that's the good side. Yeah, yeah. And so, as much as that, um, as much as that scene preaches peace, love, unity, respect, right? Um, <laughs> when money gets involved, stuff gets weird. Like <laughs> everything in life, 
start start getting money involved and and people start to get weird um and so there was that aspect of it as well that's just that's part of business really when you start to get money involved people get weird Mm. um but I was in that scene until about 2001. So I, I started my family pretty young. I had my, my oldest son who just turned 22 yesterday. Um, I had him when I was 17 and had his brother 13 months later and then had his younger brother <laughs> a, a little over a year after that. So, um, so the by rave 20 years scene old, and fatherhood didn't really work out like the connection. It, well, it's it, kind or? of funny because at, at the time, you know, my, my wife at the time was going to events with me and, you know, she was on the dance floor standing in front of a speaker while she was pregnant. And it was, it was just part of our life. So, um, and, and there's an interesting tie to that down the road as, as far as my oldest son who is now producing music. So and it's, it, good it's stuff. kind of funny. Last time I was over, we were <laughs> listening to it and I'll have to plug it in uh, when I put everything in for yeah. the podcast and push it out there. It's, it's good stuff, man. Really that would stuff. be awesome because around the age of, I got married at 20 um, and it was time for me to kind of start shifting my focus. But even when we first got married, I was still in that scene. In fact, early on, I was supporting my family by DJing at shows. I was running a sound system for uh, basically secondary rooms at these shows. So it was a smaller sound system. It wasn't for the primary uh, room. And so I was DJing, running the sound system. And basically, that's how I was supporting my family, selling records out of my garage uh, amazing, to other DJs dude. and artists. So um, it was really just grinding <laughs> to, to try and support my family. Yet, and you so that at I this love. point, uh, you started at seventeen, but the point you were supporting your family on that, like, how long did it take for you to go uh, to get there to where you were like enough money's coming in, I can feed a bunch of mouths and and take care of this house and this roof over my head. Yeah, there was there was about from uh, basically from about twenty to twenty one um, that that year year and a half I was able to um, basically focus on on music and selling records, make enough money to kind of pay the bills, right? The the typical <laughs> musicians and artists struggle. Um, like you get to end of the month like, oh shit, nobody died. <laughs> Yay. We, we did it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, the, exactly. The next month's coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, But I think um, that's a huge thing, though, man, that that it shows. I, a lot of people who, like, follow me are artists and trying to do their own business as well. And it is such a struggle. But it's cool yeah. just to hear someone's story. Like, like no, I, I was able to build this up. And, you know, it's you, you weren't, like, you know, making it rain every day. But, no. but you found a way to make it sustainable at that time and at that moment. And that's, it's cool to hear. I, I hear some artists, I even had artists come up to me. He's like, I'm thinking of proposing to my girlfriend, but I don't even know if I can like pay for anything ever. Right. You know? And what does that look like? So that's cool, man. Yeah. And as you know, I mean, when it comes to starting a family, even if you're starting it older than I was, like most people do, um, you know, there's a lot of 29. I waited like a yeah. decade longer. <laughs> and there's a lot of uh, adults who have the conversation of, I want to make sure that I'm ready. You know, I'm financially stable and, <laughs> and I've arrived at this point where I can right. start my family. Guess yeah. what? You're never going to be Still not ready. That. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> and so having, having kids at, at a young age was a blessing and a curse all at the same time, because a, you know, I wasn't financially stable. I, it was a constant grind to, make everything work and support my family. 
Um, I wasn't emotionally stable. I was a 17 year old kid. I was immature. Um, yeah, at 29, I, a, I was still not emotionally stable. So yeah, 17, no. we were all kind of fucked up. <laughs> yeah. So at, at 39, you know, I'm looking back at 29 and I'm like, bro, I was a mess then too. I'm a work in progress for the rest of my life. I've just come to that, uh, conclusion, but I'm in a better place now than I was 10 years ago. And I'm a, I was in a better place 10 years ago than I was 10 years prior to that. Um, and I expect to be in a better place in 10 years from now. And, and honestly, even in months from now, and, and really that's, that's where my mindset is, is, is constant improvement, constant growth and never settling and never arriving. Um, because I think at that, that point where you feel like I've arrived, well, guess what? That's the day you're going to start dying. You're going to start regressing. So absolutely, man. But, uh, That's awesome, yeah, man, having man. a so, family young was, was, was tough, but at the same time, you know, my, my oldest just turned 22 yesterday and I have three adult kids that are doing really awesome things. And they um, still like you and they want to hang and out. They still with like, you. Me. and that's, yeah, huge. we like, we get to hang out. <laughs> um, that's my, that's Jenny and I, my wife, that's, uh, I said, I know, you know, that's my wife, but just for the audience, it's weird. I'm right. trying to get used to that. <laughs> that whole vibe. <laughs> we know um, each but, other really well. Right. Yeah. We like hang out and all that stuff. But, uh, but yeah, that's been mainly one of our big goals and it's inspiring to see uh, you live that out is really, we want our kids when they're adults uh, to want to come home and see us uh, that yeah. they're, they're not dreading it and they actually want to hear from us and they want to be around us. So I, Absolutely. that's awesome. That's a huge testament to what you've done throughout your life. Let's say it's a fine line to ride to. And, and it always, it hasn't always been good. You know, there's been periods of my life where my relationship with my kids was, was damaged and broken. Um, and this last year for me has been a period of, um, forgiveness and grace and love and rebuilding relationships. Um, and so that's been super fulfilling. Uh, I feel like I've, I'm closer to my kids right now than I have been my entire life, which is really, really cool because they're all in, they're all in pretty important stages of their lives right now. I have five total, um, and plus three bonus kids that I picked up along the way. Um, and everybody's in this weird transitional part of their life where the older ones are, um, they're reaching for some lofty goals and it, they're struggling and it's hard but it's a super exciting time. Um, and then my girls who are 17 and 13, they're also at kind of a, a weird part in their lives too, because 13 for girls is insanity yeah. uh, for everybody involved. Um, <laughs> so uh, it, it's cool to watch everybody grow and, and awesome. go through all of these life experiences with them. Definitely, so. Man. Um, so you went, you know, you have the EDM world, uh, but then somewhere in there, you decided to start your own lawn care company. And that's something I've learned about you is just how passionate you approach landscaping from an artist's perspective. Uh, you execute well, but also from our artistic perspective. But what did it look like for you to start that that uh, landscape company? Um, so to kind of backtrack just a, a hair, um, after I left... Well, that's okay. Cause there might be a piece I I've mentioned to you before, but there was this period, my background is in electronics, digital and analog electronics, troubleshooting and repair. Um, that's, that's what my education is in. So, um, I actually left the music scene in 2001. My last show was in two, September, 2001 at Uptown theater. And I, I had basically put up the records after that. Um, and I got a big boy job, uh, with a, a local company servicing office equipment. So printers, things like that. 
um, and, and did that until I ran into my brother-in-law who was climbing trees, trimming trees for my dad down at Lake of the Ozarks. And I'd never seen anybody work off a rope and saddle before. And, um, I've always been into things that kind of get your blood moving a little bit of an adrenaline junkie and it looked like a lot of fun. And so I started talking to him about how to get into that. And, and literally that's, that's what got me into the green industry. Um, so I, I started, I went, worked for Asplend, which is a utility tree pruning company. Um, they prune trees around power lines because I figured what better way to learn how to climb trees than around power lines, right? That makes sense. Why not? Yeah. So if I could stay After alive that, in a tree around. Cake. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so I did that for a little while. And towards the end of that, I started kind of working on my side business of, of doing tree work on the side. Um, went to Florida for a hurricane uh, to do cleanup work down there and got a call from my old boss with the copier company and said Toshiba had just bought them out. Um, we want you to come back, basically name your price. And so I said, here's what I need. This is, this is what it would take for me to come back. He said, deal. The timing worked out really well because my oldest was getting ready to start his first day of kindergarten. I really didn't want to miss that. So I literally hopped on a plane from Florida, flew back to Kansas City, got to see my son off to his first day of kindergarten and start a, uh, a career with Toshiba. That's awesome. Um, so at the time I was, I was working for Toshiba as a service tech, um, but I was still building my tree business on the side. So evenings and weekends going out and hustling that stuff little by little as I could. I love it. Um, yeah. So long story short, eventually that came to an end. Um, and I jumped right into the tree business full time, um, and did that for, for a few years. And it, it kind of evolved into, you know, I ended up with a a zero turn mower from my dad. He needed a place to store it. So I was like, Hey, can I use this? Next thing you know, I'm mowing some lawns. (laughs) And uh, next thing you know, I'm planting some shrubs and, and pruning, pruning landscapes. Um, and so the, the, the tree business evolved into trees and lawns and landscaping. Um, and eventually the tree side got phased out because, uh, well, I had kids, I had a family, and that's not the safest way to make a living. Hanging you didn't want to be around the power lines chainsaw. anymore. Paralyzed didn't bother me. None of it really bothered me. It was, it was, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't putting myself in a position that was going to compromise my ability to take care of my family. I get um, that. and so it, it was a, a high risk way to make money. So I kind of phased the tree side out and focused more on the lawn and landscaping side. So, um, that's awesome, man. So it, it yeah, in a sense, it's, <clears throat> you went for it. Uh, but it sounds like some things just kind of almost happened by accident and you, you took the opportunity that was presented to you in a way. And I I feel like that's kind of what I've done my entire life to make money and to, you know, (laughs) stay busy. Right. Exactly. It's, it's, I, I can do this and this looks like fun. So I'm going to give it a shot. Um, and, and really that's how, that's how it all evolved. I mean, all the way back to the electronics side of things, you know, I was always into car stereos and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, let's go this direction. Did that for a little bit. And, oh, look, something shiny. Let's go this direction. Um, I think what shines through your story is one thing that I've learned so much about you is your attention to detail and your ability to take on new skills and new tasks, but not just like half acid, but like fully go in 
on things. <laughs> and like I watched even in the landscaping world, you, you have so much experience and uh, we worked together, you know, for a few years uh, doing that. And I learned enough to maybe put some stuff in the right place, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where, But watching you, like, even if it was something you weren't familiar with, uh, it seemed like within a week or two, you, you knew the ins and outs, you knew the manufacturers, you knew all the extra little secrets behind how to, how to do it well. Uh, and you learn, where did that passion for learning and the details come for you? Um, so I've always had a thirst for knowledge, right? If there's something, if I see something new that I'm interested in, I have a tendency, whether it's a hobby or career wise or anything like that, I have a tendency to dive in head first and, and immerse myself in it. Um, and I know there's some people in my life that's drove absolutely crazy because I have several different hobbies and I, again, I tend to immerse myself. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword because in the business world, uh, it's great because I'm constantly learning, constantly evolving. Um, and honestly, so from an entrepreneurial side, uh, that came from my dad's side. You know, my dad was an entrepreneur. Both of his parents were entrepreneurs, grandparents, um, you know, so generationally I come from a bloodline of business owners, um, as far as a thirst for knowledge and creativity and being artistic and creative, uh, that comes from my mom. Uh, my mom's an artist and, uh, a little bit of a hippie. So that, that spirit and, and, and that love for those types of things definitely comes from her. That's cool. So, so in a way you've, you've merged those two worlds, uh, so often. And that was, yeah. that was what I loved working in the field with you, uh, in the landscape world. I didn't love picking up rocks or, or pushing <laughs> wheelbarrows, uh, but you helped me see the art behind it, uh, that there's, there's some, there's a lot of beauty in creating space and what the, the ultimate goal is. And that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a quote out there that I heard several years ago, and a lot of people are probably familiar with it. And it's always stuck with me because it's very applicable to what I do. Um, and the quote goes, I'm, I'm going to read it, but he who works with his hands is a laborer. He who works with his hands and his head is a craftsman. And he who works with his hands, his head, and his heart is an artist. Um, so even in the landscape world, um, I try to bring artistry to what we do there because um, heart is the difference. I mean, it, it's real easy to move rocks and, and pick them up and move them. Um, and even from a, a mindset, it's, it's, if you have the knowledge to do it, it's easy to take, um, you know, algebra and figure out the area of a circle and figure out cuts and radius and all of that, that's knowledge, but to then take the detail and make sure that those things are clean and concise and they all fit in the big picture to create something artistic, um, is basically where the heart comes in. So that level of detail is definitely an, an internal thing. Well, and I've seen you live out that that desire for detail and your passion, but also in the coach, coaching realm. I didn't even mention yeah. like you <laughs> you do uh, base or you did for a long time yeah. uh, competitive baseball. And I've seen you train. You trained me <laughs> in the field. I've seen you train a lot of other people. But you have this passion, this this heart for teaching and for mm -hmm. coaching, and you seem to have an incredible patience yet a determination that people are going to get it right, <laughs> which I think makes for a yeah. great coach. Is that, did you have a mentor or coach that instilled that in you, or is that something that's just developed naturally kind of like your landscape business did? Um, 
I think it's a little bit of both. And I didn't realize that I had a gift for teaching and coaching until um, probably the last several years. Um, and, and I think I've had it longer than that, but it, it didn't really come to the surface and I didn't really think of it like that until the last several years. But I had several coaches growing up who had an impact on me. Um, my dad helped coach baseball growing up and, and helped coach a few of the other sports that I was a part of. Um, I grew up in a small town, so I played baseball, football, um, I wrestled and all of, and basketball and all of my coaches were all involved in all four of those sports. You know, one of my football coaches was a wrestling coach. One of my football coaches was a basketball coach. All of my coaches were football coaches and, and several of them carried over to the baseball team because the same guy sponsored and, and led all of those organizations. Um, so it was cool because I, I grew up around the same group of men teaching me and coaching me um, and holding me accountable in that aspect from an athletic standpoint. Um, so I, I think I have to, to give some credit to those guys um, for their commitment because that was a long time. I mean, I, I did that with that same group of men um, and those same coaches from – you know, basically as, as early as you could start playing sports, kindergarten, right. And all the way up to 13. Um, so those guys committed a lot of time and a lot, a big part of their life towards building these kids and these athletes. And I didn't really start to consider what impact that had on me until I started coaching baseball, which I just fell into my, my best friend was coaching a baseball team. My stepson was playing on the team and he's like, Hey, I I need help. You want to help me? Yeah. And, and <laughs> next thing you know, I'm coaching baseball. So <laughs> and yeah. very involved. And, like I remember hearing like lunchtime conversations where you're trying to figure out tryouts and details and coach, yeah. talk to parents and help them coach their kids. And yeah, like you were very, very involved. And that's one reason I love sports uh, for our kids. Um, I was never really like a big sports person uh, growing up, but I, in the music realm, I had people who were coaching me like any kind of thing that demands your focus, attention and consistency over time, I think offers opportunity to shape someone's character uh, in a positive way. Absolutely. And, and everybody needs a mentor, no matter what aspect of life we're talking about, whether it's a baseball coach or somebody in the music world or business world or the music business world. Because those are two different things. Those are like three different True. things, right? You have music, you have the business, and then you have the music business because that's a whole other <laughs> animal. Um, but everybody needs a mentor, somebody that's been there, done that, and can hold you accountable and give you some advice and just kind of lift you up when you're struggling um, and just kind of show you the ropes. And, and that's every aspect of life. Everybody needs a mentor in a lot of different areas of their life. So Absolutely. Um, I, I had an opportunity – my knowledge of baseball, and, and I always explain this uh, to my parents and my athletes, that my knowledge of baseball might not have been like way up here, um, but I had an ability to teach life through the sport of baseball. And so I, I tried to surround myself with other guys that were smarter than me in baseball um, so that I could focus on teaching these boys about life and how to fail how to get back up, how to work hard, how to be accountable and hold each other accountable, how to work as a team, how to win as a team, lose as a team and, and do both gracefully and respectfully. So, 
Um, it was a really cool experience. And I, I basically stepped away from that after the spring season of 2020, which was a really difficult decision for me. Um, it was emotional. I'd spent a lot of time with a lot of these kids. Some of them I'd been with since they were seven, eight years old. Um, and now they were 13. And so that was a tough decision for me, but I was at a season in my life where it was time for me to step away from that and focus on some personal growth and focus on some personal goals, which, you know, the, the firearms stuff was, was one of those things that, that came into play. Well, a lot of times it, it seems like you have to cut things out. It's more sculpting to accomplish big goals as opposed to painting where you're just adding and adding. I find that in my own life where I'm, I'm, I wrestle daily because I think it's part of the artist thing where there's like all these ideas and we oh, can yeah. do this and we could do that. And, and maybe you can, but it's hard to really execute all those things at the same time. So it's, I, I'm finding myself needing to do the discipline of saying, no, I can't do that. And there, there was actually one thing that popped up recently where I was like, Ooh, I, that sounds, oh, I just can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> uh, so, no is a very powerful word and, and can really help you move forward, um, rather than being a yes man. Um, and right. we have learned that in all aspects of business that learning to say no, when something's not a good fit, um, and even for your family and relationships and everything else, it's an important word. So yeah, there's a writer named Neil Gaiman. Are you familiar with him? Uh, he wrote, I'm not. uh, the American gods and a few others like uh, fiction writer, but he was doing a, an address for a college. Um, what's that called? I can't even think of the name right now. Uh, commencement speech. And he was giving advice uh, for artists and it stuck out to me where he said, you know, in the beginning, you'll find yourself kind of saying yes to all these things. It's kind of like you're, you see that mountain way off in the distance and you're trying to get there. So you're just saying yes and yes and yes. He's like, the further you go in, you realize to say yes to some of those things means you're backtracking. So you have to begin to get more and more focused because you've gone past that in your own personal development or in your own career. And that's always stuck out to me. And in it, but it's a hard thing because I get excited it about is. things. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That comes with uh, that comes with time and maturity and seasoning. Um, it comes with being burned a lot. It comes with <laughs> letting people down because you've overcommitted yourself and and having yeah. to humble yourself and and learn that man, we can't do all of the things that we want to do all of the time. Um, right. And the older I get, the more I've, I've learned that I, to kind of focus in on certain things because I've always been a jack of all trades, master of none. You know, you, you, like you said, I've done a lot. I'm 39 years old and I've lived a lot of different lives. Um, and it's because I'm constantly weaving in and out of, of projects and things. Um, and the older I get, the more I learn that I, to focus in on, on things that are important. And I, I think that's just part of growing. Absolutely. So when I started working landscaping, um, it's funny because I remember the conversation I had right before I quit. Um, We're sitting in your office and I was like, so I see you're passionate about this. You have the heart. And uh, and I kind of broke down. I was like, I've been trying really hard. (laughs) And I just realized I was like, this is not the place for me. Like I enjoy. I want to love it, but I just don't. (laughs) I really did. I went in thinking I will, but, um, but I remember the, it's like the first week I started working uh, with you in the field. And uh, my wife tells me before going to work, because she knows me, she goes, can you do me a favor? Don't talk about religion or politics. 
at all <laughs> because you're not going to make any friends because I don't always have the most popular opinions. <laughs> and, uh, but you and I get in the field together and within the first week, we're talking religion, we're talking politics, we're talking everything. Uh, we start talking about gun control and, and all these things. And it, it's been a really cool journey in our friendship because we don't always see necessarily eye to eye on things, but yeah. the conversations have been great and I've learned a ton. And that dove us into like, I, I was already kind of interested in getting a gun. I wanted to teach. I, I realized I had grew up with guns, yeah. um, but then didn't have them. Once I, I sold my guns to go to college, <laughs> uh, to, <laughs> it, it didn't pay for all of it, but I sold what I had to start my music career. It's like, I'm an artist now. Um, yeah. But then I realized with the boys, they, they had no familiarity with it. And we had a situation where there was a, a young kid with a gun and the mom didn't know where it was in it. And it, it like shook me and that yeah. all happened about the same time I started working with you and we started talking with this and I'm like what would happen if my kids came across a gun would they think it's like fucking call of duty and start like what what would they do and I realized yeah. I need to go on this journey with them and it's kind of a perfect timing uh, to get to know you because your perspective on guns um, I really connected with and uh, self-defense and those kind of things but so let's talk about the beginning well one you're well, let's talk first about what your business is that you're launching. You want to break that down? Yeah. So um, the business is Civilian Firearms Trainer. And basically, we, we're focused on just the absolute fundamentals of firearms. Um, I'm not looking to train guys on how to be tactical Joe and run around with a rifle and a vest on and, and be super cool looking. That was never the intention of my business. Um, I have guys that I can refer you to if you want to do that. Um, but for me, honestly, you were you were a little bit of the catalyst of why I decided to do this because there are 2020 has brought in the numbers are there. It's like 8.4 million new gun owners, and these are people who have never owned firearms before. Yeah, it's been 8.4 million people with guns that probably don't know how to use them. Right. And the other problem is the, the firearms instruction industry and just the firearms industry in general, um, is, is pretty inundated with egos. And, um, well, and that's one thing I think that connected me with you. Cause one thing I did not like about the gun culture I had seen was yeah. just this bravado and guys yeah. with fucking huge ass guns going to get fries at I had five guys and I was like, what the hell is this man? <laughs> like what's yeah. happening? Uh, but so, you know, you're, like you said, it, it can come with this ego thing, but back mm -hmm. to you. And as you tell your story, <laughs> well, yeah, but, but that is, that is the perception of the gun culture that we live in. That, that is a, if, if you're, if you're not in that culture, um, that tends to be the outside perspective. I wanted to change that. I wanted to take the fear out of firearms instruction and take the fear and intimidation out of learning because most people's experience with learning how to shoot is if they're new is somebody else takes them to a public range and that somebody else is probably not as experienced as they say they are. Um, so there's some bad habits on display from the jump. Right. So typical experiences. We're going to go to a public firing range. We're going to stand in line with a whole bunch of other people within three feet of you. It's loud. This is new. You can't hear, you can't hear instruction. And when you start hearing shots going off, 
there, there are some people, a lot of people that I've talked to who just had a really, really bad response to that. Mm -hmm. Um, mentally and physically, it was overwhelming for them, which means they, they were scared, they were intimidated and they learned absolutely nothing other than how scared they were. Yeah. It's, Um, it's a startling thing. Like even, like I said, I grew up hunting and we were shooting all the time, like with my grandpa and my dad, but then it had been years and then when you and I got on the range, like I'd already been doing dry fire training, like you were teaching me. And, but those first few shots, I was like, huh, huh, like your body Whoa. just yeah. reacts, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, um, there w- there was this, uh, it, on the flip side of that, the other option is, okay, I go to a class and I want to learn just basic pistol. So now I'm in a class with 10 to 15 other people of which not everybody is on the same plane as far as knowledge and experience. So if you have a bunch of people that might be up here and I'm, I'm down here, um, I'm kind of shy and I don't want to ask questions because I don't want to, I don't want to feel like, you know, I'm asking a dumb question. And so I'm just not going to ask a question. So I leave that class with a, I just got fed maybe four to six hours and got bombarded with information. And anybody who studied how people learn and how the brain works knows that when, when your brain is bombarded with information like that, you don't retain all of it. Mm-hmm. You, you retain bits and pieces. Um, so it, it's like a shotgun blast of information. You might catch a few pieces, but the, the rest is going to go right around you. Right. Um, see what I did there with the whole gun analogy. That's good. Yeah. I like yeah. it. I, I had that written down written down no i didn't um it's on your but, screen right there right, right. Yeah. <laughs> got it i got it in <laughs> so there, the way i saw it was there was a need to take the fear and intimidation out of it and give people one-on-one time to learn the basics in in very small increments um there are other instructors who offer private instruction um but the reality is it's not their bread and butter because they would you know who wouldn't want to fill a room with 10 to 15 people at 50 bucks a pop and spend four hours and make a good living that day, or, you know, charge 50 or $60 an hour and just spend one hour with one person, private, one-on-one, one night a week. It's not a huge moneymaker. And, and that's okay because that's not the point of what I'm doing. The point is, is there's 8.4 million new gun owners out there who are probably scared. Right. And that gun is a paperweight sitting under their bed that they have no idea what to do with. Yeah. Around their um, kids, around their, the rest of their family. And yeah, that is a concerning thing. So yeah, you, you have a large market. There, there is. <laughs> and, and politically there's people that are starting to, that, that might have been um, not against guns, but not terribly fond of them that are right. starting to come to the realization that, okay, this is a tool. I, I feel a need in, in today's, society that I need to be able to know how to use this tool Mm -hmm. effectively, safely, teach my kids, um, and be prepared to use this tool if I have to, because the climate that we're in today is very volatile. And the reality is, is there's a hard issue in our country. And, and there always has been as far as people willing to do terrible things to good people. It seems like Well, it's more visible now. I mean, it's, it's more visible now than it was 20 years ago because social media puts it all out there and everything is on camera uh, now. Will Smith, you know, talked about racism. They were like, do you think there's more racism? Sorry. Do you think there's more racism today? And he goes, no, I just think now it's being filmed and now we're seeing the reality of of what people are dealing with. And I think the same on the end you're talking about. 
Yeah, crimes are a lot more documented uh, visually now than they they were 20 years ago. Um, so, and granted, it's it's just as prominent. And so, I think a lot of people, much like yourself, you had an awakening of okay, I, this is a tool. I need to learn how to use this tool. I need to be able to introduce it to my kids so that if they come across this tool, they they have an understanding of how to address it, and they don't pick it up like, hey, this is it's like Call of Duty. Like, I'm, I'm pointing this at my friends, <laughs> right? Because this is cool. Um, so there, there's a need there to teach those things and to teach those things without the ego, um, without the bravado, uh, and without the fear and intimidation that usually comes along with learning about firearms. Right. Um, and so we're, we're doing that in a private setting. Um, essentially, the first four weeks that we would spend with you is, is once a week. Uh, about an hour at a time in your own home, one-on-one, uh, no live ammunition. And we're going to start from the absolute basics, you know, the four golden rules of firearm safety, um, how to hold it, how to check and see if there's anything in it, how to load it, um, how to do those things in your own home mm-hmm. safely, knowing what is on the other side of the wall that you're pointing at or in the basement? Is that one of your kids' bedrooms? Is that one of your kids' bedrooms next door? Um, where is a safe place that I can practice dry fire? Um, how can I check and make sure that it's clear? And so rather than blasting somebody with four hours of information and expecting them to retain all of it, um, we break it down into very finite pieces. Mm-hmm. And then they're left with a little bit of homework of, okay, I, I just want you to practice just being comfortable with this tool in your hand. Um, because if you're not comfortable holding it, you're not going to shoot it and you're not going to shoot it well. Um, so just that's get what I experienced even my first time in the range with you, where I, I had been doing the dry fire drills and everything, but realized I was still just nervous, you know, yeah. holding it in my hand. Uh, and yeah, it just, it took a while to really get comfortable. Plus I came from, I was, kind of shifting more towards just such a negative view like I was sharing with you yeah. of of gun culture that I like over and over in my head I was just kind of like everything's bad and it's scary and it's <laughs> you know and, and like trying to find this middle ground I guess if you will uh, within it but yeah it's just that just being used to holding this thing that you know can can cause serious damage it's, it's yeah like it begins to help you jump some hurdles uh, to being able to operate it safely Absolutely. Um, and, and I think that's, that's one of the things that, that again, as you and I have, have grown to know each other personally, you know, that I'm a pretty even keel guy, middle of the road. Yeah. I, I, I'm not extreme one way or the other. And I, I just want to love people and be respectful. And I don't have to agree with your opinion. I don't have to, but I, and, and we can disagree. Like we have, we right. have, we have points in our life that, that we don't hundred percent agree on, but we've always had extremely respectful conversations. Yeah. Um, and, and I think when you can do that, you open up doors that were, were never possible before. Um, Absolutely. And, and again, it's opened up a door for you to be able to feel comfortable with me. Um, and for me to be able to share information with you about learning how to operate your firearms and do it safely and do it efficiently and effectively. Um, and, and you, you basically felt comfortable enough to allow me to teach you because all of the stigma was out of the way. Right. 
when and I think really this past year, I think the especially the the demographic you're talking about uh, these new gun owners. Uh, a lot of them, I, I know of people uh, who were more like me coming from a very like almost anti-gun standpoint and then realizing, like I said, the world, the world didn't change, but it felt like all of a sudden shit shifted <laughs> all yeah. around us. Yeah. Uh, but it, like I said, it, it became more exposed and, uh, but yeah, there, there's people trying to make that transition. And I, that's why I really loved when you told me about this business, I was like, man, that's a, a brilliant way to do it because like I the idea of going to like some of the the gun shops that do classes like that still just seems like overwhelming to me. Cause I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Am I going to get along with all these people? Am I going to like, is there going to be the dudes who want to walk into five, like, you know, five guys with their, you know, guns not blazing, but you know what I mean? Like all yeah. these things that I'm like, ah, but as opposed to like, no, let's have real conversations about this. Let's talk about our concerns. Let's talk about uh, our fears of it and then yeah. move forward. And then how do we learn a skill and I, I love the idea of week to week. It remind me, I think I shared with you, it remind me of uh, like guitar lessons. Yeah, again, we talked you, about that. You can't do, like I could do, uh, I don't teach anymore, but when I taught, I could do like once a month, give you four hours, but it wouldn't be anywhere near as effective as even a 20 minute once a week uh, lesson, just because the way the brain works and the way like we, we grow myelin in our brains that solidify all the skills that we're learning. It just, it doesn't happen in a day at all. No. And at the time when you, when you're learning that, especially on the fundamental level, um, you're like, do I really need to go home and practice scales for the next five days until we meet right. again? Well, uh, on the front end, that seems really boring. And like, I, why am I doing this? Um, but now you can play those scales in your sleep and, right. and you don't even have to mentally process what you're doing. The same goes for gunfighting. Those are skills that you don't want to have to reach back into the back of your brain in a <laughs> no. stressful time and say, okay, how do I do this again? You want there to be enough repetition and enough, and enough um, muscle memory in place that um, when shit hits the fan, you can respond accordingly. Um, because stress really changes how we process and, and how our brain is able to take information that we know, we know it. And then stress gets involved and adrenaline dumps and everything Locks goes out the window. Absolutely. Um, it's like stepping on stage your very first time. Um, and it and takes I a while really to get hard over and that. then my fingers went like, I remember practicing. I was, we were, I was in a rock <laughs> band, but I remember in college, I practiced this classical piece because I was studying classical at school and so I, I wanted to bust out this classical thing on my acoustic guitar and busting my ass on it. And we were just going to pop into this big rock thing afterwards. I like, I sat there and tried <laughs> to play it and it just, my fingers literally were like, Nope. And I tried Not again. Today. And like, nope. And then I was like, just go. <laughs> and we just went with the big thing. Yeah. Or yeah. And we see, you see that in military, you see that in police officers, like with the training, uh, even with yeah. all the training, I had a friend who was in a special like kind of a, a special uh, ops team in the Marine Corps. And he was like, after all the training, all the things we went through, you'd still get people in the real, in real time shut down because yeah. you don't know what's going to happen when bullets are flying at you. You don't know what's going to happen when chaos is ensuing around you. So the better prepared you can be, the better, better off. But even then, sometimes it can be a struggle. Yeah, absolutely. And, and mentally preparing for an event like that, um, talk to anybody in the military or law enforcement and, and they'll tell you mentally 
Like you don't know until it happens. Um, right. And like you said, some guys are going to freeze. Some guys are going to run. Some guys are going to fight. Everybody's wired a little bit differently. Um, but y- you got to have, you got to have the skills to, to run your tool. Um, that that's just, because the reality is, is there's a large number of, of people who are killed with their own firearms because they don't know what to do with it. Yeah. And so in, in a home invasion, they accidentally kill someone in their own home that is exactly. part of a family. Like that's, exactly. Um, and I, on my Facebook page and social media, you know, I hate to be doom and gloom, but a lot of times I post about stories of negligent discharges that cause somebody's life. Um, you know, a, a young kid, a toddler, a three-year-old picks up a gun and shoots himself, kills himself. It's happened here in Kansas City multiple times. Um, I I post those things so people understand this is this is real life. These are real things. Um, these are tools that are meant to kill people. That is, that, that is their intent. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what you do with that intent has to do with your heart. Um, I'm a protector by nature, which is what, what drove me to learn more about self-protection and firearms. Right. Um, and I'm not an aggressive person. I'm not, I'm not a, somebody that, that's out looking for a fight at any given time. If any fight that I can avoid is a fight one. Um, right. And that's, that's some Sun Tzu art of <laughs> war shit right there. It's like the best, yeah. you know, like the best way to win a war is to not get in it. Yeah. Absolutely. Don't get involved if you absolutely don't have to. And so there's a lot of things that you have to mentally prepare yourself for to start carrying a firearm. Um, and so when I've had friends who are like, Hey, I'm going to get my CCW. Um, I'm going to start concealed carrying. Um, what do you think? And I'm like, I think you have some lifestyle changes to make. Honestly, because we if that I conversation, decide, <laughs> we, we did it. And I, there's, it's oftentimes I have to, if I'm going out to dinner with my family, um, I have to make a decision. Am I going to have a beer tonight or a drink, or am I going to carry a firearm? Because I, I don't get to do both in public like that. Right. Um, and so where am I going that day? Am I going to a federal building, a courthouse? Am I going to the kid's school? How am I going to store my firearm when I go inside? Because I can't carry it with me. Uh, the clothes that I wear, um, it, it does require a little bit of lifestyle change in a, in a certain aspect and it change, it, it requires a shift of mindset. Uh, and if your mindset is you're looking for a fight, the last thing you need in your pants is a gun. You need right. to fix your heart. Um, well, and that's where I remember our conversation going because I, I had realized I had kind of this breakdown uh, this uh, last year and where I saw things inside myself that I did not yeah. like. And there was so yeah. much anger and aggression that had been built up in me um, where, you know, I found myself really like yelling at cops that were on my front porch kind of deal. Like it's a long story, (laughs) but where I realized like before I ever think of going down this journey, I have a lot of shit to do internally and, and really in life in general, but it was kind of a wake up call. Like, no, the things that you keep stuffing down, you have to deal with, not just to carry a gun, but just to, to, to live life effectively and to be who I really want to be. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's, that's something that like, even when it comes to guns, like it helped me see like, oh, maybe you can learn this and grow this. But like you're, I, I knew I was in no position to be carrying and, and I had to, I had to realize that. And I had to go on my own journey to, to deal with the shit that was all kind of here. 
and that means you're light years ahead of, of where a lot of people are just in life in general, when you can recognize that toxicity that you're dealing with, um, and understand that I don't need to, I, I've got a lot of fuel in me right now. I don't need to strike a match and, and put a gun in my pocket. Right. Um, that that's the last thing I need to do. The great thing about doing the one-on-one stuff though, is, is I get to have those conversations with people. I get to have a little more personal conversations with people. And, and so my intake questionnaire talks about, it asks questions about why are you wanting to buy a firearm? Why are you, you know, what is your experience and what, what are three things that you want to learn? Um, and so I can get kind of an understanding of where people's heads are at before we even meet. Um, because then that opens up the opportunity and the door for me to have personal conversations with them about lifestyle changes, about the reality of what happens in, in, in the responsibilities of carrying a firearm uh, or just having one in the home. Even if you're not carrying it, having one in the home is its own set of responsibilities, especially if you have kids. Even if you don't have kids, but you have grandkids or there are kids that might come over, there's a set of responsibilities that you have taken on to make sure that those things are secure. Um, and that was like primary number one thing yeah, <laughs> in the beginning yeah. for us. Like what's the safe? What's it look like? How does this work? How does this operate? Where's the ammo? Like if you said, even when I'm doing dry fire drills, like locking the ammo up and triple yeah. checking everything, you know, it's, I think I definitely learned from you how important that safety aspect is. Yeah. And we talked about that with the dry fire stuff. My, my policy when I do dry fire work is, um, there is, is no ammunition in the room with me. I I say in the room, it is locked in a safe while I'm doing dry fire drills. And I will say dry fire commencing. I will say it out loud by myself, like a crazy person. I don't care. Nobody else is here. Exactly. (laughs) And when I am done, I, I again, say out loud, done dry firing, dry fire is finished. I, you know, guns loaded. I'm checking it. I'm putting it away and finished dry firing. There, there has to be some steps and processes in place to ensure that things are safe. Um, and, and again, if it, if you're following any of the four basic rules, you'll, you'll be okay. Um, it's, it usually takes breaking two of those for something terrible to happen. Mm. Um, and the reality is, is you want to minimize the damage <laughs> that occurs when you do it, because whether it's a table, uh, it's a lot better for it to be a table than right. a pet or a person. Um, but if it is, if you're following the rule of, I don't want to point this at anything I don't want to destroy. Right. Uh, and I'm pointing it at my table. Okay. I've destroyed my table. I can live with that. I can't live with destroying somebody in my family because right. I broke that rule of do not ever point it at something you're not willing to kill. Um, because that, that's what they're for. So. Absolutely, man. Well, I'm, I'm excited for what you're doing. I think it's a brilliant idea. Um, over so many of our conversations over the last few years, I, I, I wish there were more voices, uh, like you in the gun culture world, uh, because I think people would, would understand things may, at least people may be coming more from the perspective I was in. Uh, would be able to open up and understand what it's about and, and maybe find again, that middle ground. Um, I, there's so many directions I want to go with it, but I, <laughs> I just have a few more minutes left. And so I wanted to dive into the, the, the questions, uh, the yeah. live a great life and create great things. And for you um, as an artist, as an entrepreneur, as, as a man, what does it mean to you 
to live a great life? Um, this was a cool question to me because 2020 has been a year for me to reflect on where I've been, where I want to go and what I need to do to live a great life. Um, you know, personally, 2020 was really, really difficult for me. Um, so there was a, a lot of growth that needed to occur. Um, to me, it, it comes down to balance. Um, my faith, my family, my friendships, um, and having a healthy balance between all of those. And because the reality is, is when you start putting too much stock into one thing or the other, you start to lose focus of the other parts of your life that are important and your priorities get a little mixed up. Right. Um, you start to put people and things on a platform that don't deserve to be there. Um, and you lose balance in your life and life starts to slowly go downhill. Um, so living a great life to me is, is balancing my faith, my family, my friends, and, and making sure that there's, those are in the right order. Um, and that there's a, a healthy consumption of all of the above. It's almost like that so. stool analogy where you have to have all three legs operating in the moment you move something out of there. Um, you know, it's no longer a stool. It's no longer effective. And or if one is longer or shorter than the other two, or if they're all just three weird different sizes, <laughs> and then you just, you, you can't feel stable. Um, you might be able to sit there for a little while, but eventually your body's going to be like, this isn't comfortable. I don't yeah. feel right. I need to adjust. Something needs to change. I'm going to cut some legs off and I'm going to even things up because right. I don't like to sit off to the side. That's it's uncomfortable. Cool, And, and then for you, what does it mean to you to create great things? Um, I touched on that, uh, when I quoted about the laborer versus the, the, um, craftsman versus the artist, um, to create, create great things for me means, um, whatever I'm working on to, to do it from an artisan standpoint, um, and use my hands, use my head and use my heart, um, and, and there's sometimes where you've, you've just got to mindlessly just get after it, use your hands, get stuff done. Uh, but when it comes to creating, uh, absolutely, you have to have all three of those things involved. Back to the stool. It's, it's kind stool. of the, the stool mentality <laughs> yeah. throughout yeah. it, man. Yeah. Well, dude, I, I'm excited for you as you start this new venture and uh, seeing what you've created in the past, no doubt there's some good things ahead for you. So thanks for making the time. I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, it's been it's been great. Again, uh, appreciate the opportunity for you to allow me to work with you personally um, and kind of take you along this journey of, of learning a little bit more about firearms and that uh, it, it's not all about ego and, and being macho. Um, there's a lot to learn and it can be fun. I think you've learned too, that, that it doesn't just have to be about, you know, gunfighting all the time. It's, it's, there, there's a, there's a fun aspect to it as well. So, right. But yeah, Absolutely. I appreciate the time, man. Well, it's just like when I do uh, my dry fire drills, uh, usually in the mornings before I go work out and, uh, when I can get up early enough and then uh, I'll come back from the gym and Jenny will go, where are you playing with your guns again? <laughs> I'm like, thanks. Yeah. Thanks, babe. Yeah. Like I'm prepared for the future. And she, yeah. <laughs> she's like, yeah, you were playing with your guns. That's cute. But well, that's awesome. That, that's part of it. So. Thank you for listening to the live and create podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe and leave a comment or a review. The live and create podcast.